You're listening to Words of Encouragement, the preaching ministry from the pulpit of the First Baptist Church of Winsboro, Louisiana. Moses and the Call of God. Moses and the Call of God. Today on Words of Encouragement. This morning I'm excited. Uh, as you see um, the uh, picture there, Moses and the call of God. We are at that point, uh, and I was all excited, and I, uh, I found, uh, found Moses, a clip of Moses from the Ten Commandments, and I was all excited, and then I remembered, yeah, there, it's illegal if I just showed that to you and then threw it on YouTube. we got to have a license for all that kind of thing, and they'll pull it off and all this stuff. So I don't get to show you the video, but... I do get to show this picture, and this picture looks like it was based exactly from the movie, uh, from the clip I was going to show you anyway. So there you go. Uh, let me ask you a question. Have you ever been called to take care of a task? Has you ever been called on to do something? Some of us have been called on to do it. Some of us have been told to do it, right? <laughs> I hear you. Uh, maybe you were a substitute teacher and that call came to your house early in the morning and, uh, you know, Miss so-and-so's not going to be there today. Can you fill in? Uh, maybe, uh, maybe you were called on to help move, an item, move some items uh, to, get to prepare for a wedding or something. Uh, boy, a lot, a lot goes on in decorating and moving things around for that. Maybe your child called out in the middle of the night for help. Maybe when they walked, they came into your room and did like my brother and I, hovered over our mother and stared at her till she woke up. <laughs> Scared her to death. <laughs> what? What? I can see her today. What? <laughs> but many of us have been called on to do things. Many of us. Today we're going to look at Moses uh, and what God is calling on him to do. And so I'm, I'm, I'm so excited as we go through these great stories of the Bible. Uh, Exodus uh, chapter 2, verse 25. If you are able and uh, you are willing, would you stand in honor of the reading of the Word of God? Uh, actually, look out, okay? Uh, let's see. Maybe, I'm going to pray that all this is correct later. <laughs> let's, look at, uh, let's look at that. Okay, let's do that. 11 and, and uh, verse 12. Now it came about in those days when Moses had grown up that he went out to his brethren and looked on their hard labors. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. So he looked this way and that, and when he saw that there was no one around, he struck down that Egyptian and hid him in the sand. Now this will get us to where we're going to be today. Uh, but if uh, I, I invite you to be seated. Uh, and may the, may the Lord bless us as we walk through His Word together today. The people, the people cry out to God. That's the first thing I see. And uh, look at verse 20, uh, let's see, chapter 2, verse 23. It says, Now it came about in the course of those many days that the king of Egypt died. And the sons of Israel sighed because of the bondage. And they cried out, and their cry for help because of their bondage rose up to God. 
Commentator Douglas Stewart writes this about this, this verse. He says, Their misery is emphasized noticeably by four terms. Two of them are verbs, groaned and cried out. And two of them are nouns, cry and groaning, consisting or, or constituting four different vocabulary words in the Hebrew. Now, in the New American Standard and the King James, we get the two words, sigh, and cry. Just because the king had died did not mean that the treatment of the people got any better. So they are groaning, they are sighing, they are crying out to God. Stuart says the double use of the expression because of their slavery reinforces this with the intention that the reader must not miss the severity of Israel's miserable situation. It's bad. I mean, it's bad. You think going through this past week, like we did, with the water going off and all this stuff, and everybody deciding they can complain, and suddenly they're all water experts, you know. It's so funny. Watch Facebook. and Well, anyway, uh, you think that was bad last week. No, look, this is slavery. This is bad. This is bad stuff. And here is Israel. And nothing has changed. The king has died. And you would have thought the king who decided, oh, we're going we're to we're put a handle on these people. We're going to work them to death. That's what we're going to do. You would think when he died, that would just, well, that order would have died too. But it did not. So it continued. So Israel is crying out. They're groaning. They're groaning. And it, it, it just continues. Uh, to groan, what is to groan? To vocally express pain when words are not enough. How's that for you? You ever groaned before? <laughs> I just, I don't have any words to say. I've said them all and I don't know what else to say. And I, oh, oh, it just hurts. Groaning, that's what the Israelites were doing. This crying they did was with great intensity. They were hurting to the very depths of their being. And do you remember what he had done? Look back at uh, chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. It says, The Egyptians compelled, remember, compelled, forced the sons of Israel to labor rigorously, and they made their lives bitter with hard labor in mortar and bricks and at all kinds of labor in the field and all their labors which they rigorously imposed upon them. He had not stopped them working simply uh, because it did not work to stop them multiplying. They had to keep working. He had them working and he never, he never dismissed that order for them. Remember he went to the midwives and said, well, you kill the babies, you kill the boys. you know." But he never stopped them working hard. He kept it up. And the people were desperate for some kind of relief. And who did they cry out to? They cried out to the one who could stop the stuff. To the one who could bring relief. They called out to God. They cried out and they groaned to God. What do you do when you find yourself in a situation where there seems to be no way out? What do you do? Do you cry out to God? I pray that you do. At some point. I know many of us, I know many of us, we start trying to figure it out ourselves. We start asking other people, what did you do? Well, how can I help? How can somebody help me? Where do I go? What do I do? But eventually we cry out to God when we realize that's all we have. And here they are, they're crying out to God. What do you do when you, who do you go to when you need relief from your suffering? 
Did you know that, uh, that as a child of God, you can, even when you groan, you're communicating with God because His Holy Spirit communicates with Him on your behalf? Listen to Romans 8, 26. In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. First thing I want you to see here this morning is that God hears your cries. He hears you. You are a child of God and He hears your cries. The people of God in this situation, in this, at this point in time, cried out to God and God heard their cry. That doesn't change. The unchanging God. God hears our cries. That's the first thing I want you to see this morning. He hears your cries. So don't... Don't, don't sit there wondering, well, I hope, I, did he hear me? Maybe I need to repeat it. Maybe, maybe, maybe he just didn't hear me. No, he heard you. I know, I know how it is. I, I, I am not condemning you in any way for doubting at that point. I would never condemn you in that way. Because there are times in our lives that we are moved to the point of groaning and we begin, to, that, that devil will throw doubt in our minds. He didn't hear you. He doesn't care about you. He doesn't even care that you're going through this. And the devil will throw things your way and have that stuff in your head and you can look back into the Bible and say, no, wait a minute, God does hear my cry. I know he does. But it's tough, I understand. I know it's tough. But I'm telling you as your pastor and as your friend, God hears your cries. He hears you. Well, the second thing we see as we look at this passage is that Moses has an encounter with God. Look at verse 1 of chapter 3. Now Moses was pasturing the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Now, Moses, we've talked about him. He's already had instances where he's been in, shall we say, delivery mode. <laughs> he's delivered. He's, at, he's, he's performed the act of deliverance for some people. Well, look at this. He's not in that mode right now, but he is in pasturing the flock mode. And I think that's really interesting. When you know what's going to happen later. When you know why God has called him to do what we're going to see he's calling him to do. He is leading a flock. He's pastoring a flock. So that's pretty interesting there. Well, notice he's taken the flock to Horeb or Sinai, the mountain of God. Look at verse 2. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of a bush. And he looked and behold. The bush was burning with fire, yet the bush was not consumed. What? I love it. Behold. And I love that word. I love that word. To me, that word behold says, take a good long look at this. Consider this. Stop what you're doing. Focus on this. And that's what he has done here. He, has, he looked and behold, the bush was burning with fire, yet the bush was not consumed. Wow. Now this is God getting Moses' attention, wouldn't you say? Yes. 
Wouldn't that get your attention? I'd, I think I'd be like, oh my, somebody needs to call the fire department, you know? So there, something's going on here. I'd be thinking, but then I'd look and behold it, and I would say, but it's not burning up. What is going on here? I think I will stop and look at this and see what is happening. I, so, so this is what's happening here. He is, he is uh, taking this flock. He, run, he sees this bush. God has gotten his attention. Do you remember the word theophany? Remember that word? We learned it. It is a physical representation of God. It, this, is, this angel is, is God in, in kind of a human form. And I, I don't, don't ask me to explain it further because, because you would say, well, then he saw God. Well, no, but he saw a representation of God, which was God. This is the angel of God, but it's, it's God speaking here. Notice God does not grab Moses' face and say, look at me. He puts this bush, he lights this bush on fire to get his attention. He doesn't grab Moses and say, look at me, look at me, look at me. My point is, that's not how God sometimes talks to us. He doesn't, always, he doesn't grab our face and yank us and say, look here. But he will get our attention in some way. It may be through a tragedy. It may be through something totally, you know, something job-related. It may be something family-related. Somehow, God is going to get our attention to where we're looking at Him and saying, God, I need you. And God says, yes, I'm here for you. I'm here for you. I want you to know that. And I believe God gets our attention many times so that we can draw near to Him. But He acts. God, what He's doing, He's acting. He's doing something to get, He does, He performs an action to get Moses' attention. Once Moses sees this bush and that it is not burning up, he does make this choice to have a closer look. Look at verse 3. So Moses said, I must turn aside now and see this marvelous sight, why the bush is not burned up. Why is this bush not burned up? What is going on? So God has his attention. Look at verse 4. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to look. God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. God speaks to Moses. When a, when, when a name like this is repeated, it is a, it is a form of uh, familiarity. When, when, when God calls on someone and he says their name twice, that is a, hey, I know you. I know you. I know you. Remember the story of Samuel? My wife will never let me forget when I preached on that. Samuel. Samuel. And Samuel's like, oh, oh, uh, uh. And he ran into the priest. Did you call me? And he said, no, I didn't call you. Go back to bed. And then he heard it again. But it was Samuel. Samuel. Moses. Moses. This is the same type thing. This is God saying to this person, I know you. I know you. I'm aware of your existence, but I also know you. I know who you are. Listen to verse 5 in the King James. I love how it's put in King James. It says, And he said, Draw not nigh hither. Put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Wow. Wow. The the The... New, uh, New American kind of cleans it up a little here and says, Then he said, Do not come near here. Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. Oh, some powerful words right there. 
powerful words, God has approached Moses, but Moses being a human cannot yet approach God in such a casual manner. Moses can't just walk, you know, hey, just, you know, like he walks up to anybody else. No, he can't do that. This is the holy God. This is almighty God himself crying out saying, Moses, Moses. And Moses realizes, oh, oh, and God says, take off your sandals. For you are standing on holy ground. Wherever God's presence is in such a way as this, that ground is holy ground. The removal of sandals was and still is in the east a sign of humility and reverence in the presence of the Holy One. It was a way of excluding the dust and dirt of the world. But it also took away personal comfort and convenience and brought the person more closely in contact with the earth. Look at verse 6. And he, and, or he said also, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Then Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Whatever, whatever else this phrase may mean, it is certainly a movement toward continuity, an effort to bind the previous revelation of God to the revelation mediated to Moses here. All that may have been not alike at all was believed in common, merged together in a single faith, in the convenient understanding and of the covenant understanding of Yahweh as the God of Israel. God's mention of, of, of Amram was more likely a means of assuring Moses that he was now in the Israelite tradition of faith and he had the opportunity to know God just as his father and all who had preceded him since Abraham had. Moses hides his face from God. He's unworthy to look upon him. He's like, oh no, whoa. This is you. It's you. Look at verse 7. The Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. Ah, he has heard their cries. We see this. And have given heed to their cry because of their taskmasters. For I am aware of their sufferings. God wants Moses to know, I know what's happening. I know what's happening in Egypt. Well, if God knew, then why didn't he take care of them? Here is where I must remind myself and you that the, His ways are above our ways. He is God, we are not. He is in charge, we are not. Well, if I was in charge, I'd have, well, yeah, well, okay. But you're not, and I'm not. But God is. God is. God's in charge. Look at verses 8 and 9. So I have come down to, to deliver them. Oh, here's God. I have come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to, do, to a good and spacious land, to a land, here it is, that famous phrase, flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanite and the Hittite Thank and the Amorite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite. to have you along wow. as part of our podcast family. Now behold. 
Uh, the cry of the sons of Israel has come to me. Shared with them, Furthermore, I have seen the oppression words of with which the Egyptians in their life are oppressing them. I do hope and pray I that you have uh, understood this sermon children. this morning or this, <laughs> as you're listening to it. Horrible, but I Sorry, see it. I'm, I see it. I'm God is going this, to deliver his people from the Egyptians. He's going so, to bring uh, them to a land flowing. But whenever you're listening to this, we hope that you will understand that God has called you as a Christian to with milk and protect honey. I mean, it's people. just oozing out. We're to protect each other. We're to look out for each other. It's not, it's and, not going to stop. And God what will do a that. land. He will take care of us. He that will God take is care of us. And for He is children. preparing us. Have you ever had an encounter with God like that is unmistakable? So my prayer for you. Uh, I mean, I, is that one you, are you know that communication like has occurred day. between you and God. I hope Have you ever had one of those? For more information, you can go to fbcwinsboro.com. That's fbcwinsboro.com. Had an encounter with God where we knew, yes, God wants me to do this. our church and our ministries here at First Baptist Church of Winsboro. We know it. Well, until next time. The very encounter you had with God when you realized you were a sinner is an unforgettable occasion. After that, such encounters are not to be rare, but ongoing. We're, we're, we, look, we, when we had that encounter, when we realized we were a sinner and, and we needed to be forgiven of our sins, and we had, I mean, there was a communication happening between us and God. We need those, that communication needs to continue. We need to, have, we need to have more occasions where we have communicated with God and we know it in our head and in our heart. As one has a relationship with someone, they will encounter and experience that person's presence over and over. Amen. When you communicate with somebody, you're, you know, when you're one-on-one with somebody, you're in their presence. And so you and I ought to be in God's presence daily, daily, talking with Him, walking with Him. Have you had an encounter with God? Have you had an encounter with God? The last thing we see is that God calls Moses. Up until this point, God has simply informed Moses that He's going to deliver His children. Now, this is good news. I would think of Moses, I'd be like, oh... Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Now here's a Hebrew. You know, you can take a Hebrew out of, the, out of his, uh, you can take a Hebrew out of his, peop- his own people and put him in Egypt, but that doesn't make him an, an Egyptian. Uh, you can't take the Hebrew out of the Hebrew. All right, so here he is, and he, he is identified with his people. We saw that last week. He's identified. He is a Hebrew. He understands that. Uh, and what he did certainly caused him to flee Egypt. And so at this point, he knows God is going to deliver the people. Wonderful. Good news. Love it. Hallelujah. Now Moses can rest and and not have to worry about anything. He can just sit back and God's going to take care of it all. And uh, now we can all just go home because now we know. No, no, no. Wait a minute. (laughs) Wait a minute. Look at verse 10. Look at verse 10. Therefore, come now and I will send you to Pharaoh so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. Whoa! What a calling! What a calling! God did not stutter. He didn't stutter. He is sending Moses to lead his, to his people out of Egypt. Look at verse 11. Uh, but Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, and that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? I mean, I, 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 who am I? I'm nobody. God, I killed an Egyptian for crying out loud. I can't go back there. What are you saying? I don't, who am I? I don't have any authority. Moses is aghast. He is shocked. 
He doesn't feel ready. He doesn't feel qualified for such an assignment. He cannot do it alone. He's got to have help. He's thinking, I just don't know about this. When God, listen, when God forgave you of your sins, He gave you, He gave me the task of leading people out of the slavery of sin. And at some point, you may have thought, well, now, wait a minute, who am I? What do I know? I'm not a theologian. I haven't been to seminary. I can't tell people about Jesus. I don't know how that could do. I, I can't do that. I haven't memorized the entire Bible. What if they ask me a question I can't answer? Oh my goodness, I can't do this alone. Yeah, well, you know, you don't have to. Look at, look at verse 12. And he said, certainly I will be with you and this shall be the sign to you that it, that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God at this mountain. God says, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you. I've called you. I'm going to be with you. Moses just needed to go. You and I simply need to go. You and I simply need to tell people about Jesus. You and I need, need, look, you and I need to share the message of the gospel. God does the rescuing. God does the rescuing. God does the saving. God does the forgiveness. Not us. And God will be with you. Just as he was with Moses when he thought he could not, so shall God be with us when we think we cannot. And you can quote me on that. <laughs> Look at verse 13. Then Moses said to God, Behold, I am going to the sons of Israel, and I will say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say to me, what is his name? What shall I say then? There's still some sounds of doubt here with Moses. What if they ask, what is the name of the God of our fathers? What's Moses supposed to say? What's he supposed to say? Look at verses 14 and 15. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God furthermore said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial name to all generations. Generation on gener of generation. Man, I am. This name for God points to His self-existence, His eternality. It, it denotes, I am the one who is slash will be. I am. I'm not, I, I, God's not saying, I, I was. God's not saying, uh, I'm going to be. He is saying, I am and I will be. I am. God is the origin of all things. The Jews, you know, so, so many of you know that the Jews consider the name of God, Yahweh, too sacred to utter. And if you read anything that Jews have written in English, you will see G slash D. G slash D. They take the O out because they don't even want to say, you know, they don't want to say that. They prefer Adonai if they're going to say it. And many, many of them, when they read the scriptures and come across the name, the holy name of God, they say Adonai. They, they've trained themselves. The name proclaims God as self-existent, self-sufficient, eternal, and sovereign over all. God then tells Moses to go to the elders of Israel that God knows and tell them God knows where they are 
He knows what's going on. God is concerned and his people need to know this. This they needed to know. They need to know that he has not forgotten them. And so he tells Moses, go. God hears your cries. He hears your cries. Have you had an encounter with him? Have you had an encounter with God? Maybe today you've not had an encounter with God. Maybe today you are sitting here this morning. You've never given your heart and life to Christ. You know in your heart that you have not done that. You've not made that decision. You know that you, you want to be forgiven of your sins. You understand that you're a sinner. And you want God to forgive you of your sins. Well, all you need to do is ask Him. All you need to do is ask Him. Admit that you have sinned against Him. Ask Him for forgiveness. Ask Him to be in charge of your life. He will come in. And He will set you free from the slavery of sin. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank You for this true story today that we looked at about Moses. And Father, what You, what you did when You called him. And Father, as we look and see how He, how he kind of bumbled about a bit and, 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 and didn't feel like He was really ready to do this, You told Him You were with Him. Father, You are with us. You never call on us to do anything by ourselves. You know we cannot do anything by ourselves. I truly believe, Father, you call us to yourself. And then you send us out, but you, you're right there with us when we go. Father, if there's someone here today that just needs to give their heart to you, I pray that they would. Lord, help us, help us to share the good news with those who need to know. There's nothing more important in this world... Nothing more important in this world than that people know who you are and what you have provided through Jesus, your Son. Help us, Father. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Words of Encouragement. I, I hope and pray that this has been an encouragement to you uh, to remember that God hears your cries. And I do have to ask, have you had an encounter with God? If you've cried out to Him, uh, certainly He has heard your cry and you have had an encounter with Him. And if you have, He's probably called on you to do a task. He's probably calling on you in order to use you for His kingdom. Do you have a relationship with the Lord? Do you know Him? My prayer is that you do. For more information about that, you can always go to fbcwinsboro.com. There is a Steps to Peace with God presentation right there on the page. Right as soon as you get to the site, on the right-hand side, you'll see Steps to Peace with God. And it's a video you can watch. Uh, and I, I, I will lead you through making that decision. Now look, just praying the prayer doesn't make you a Christian. Meaning it in your heart, truly repenting, turning away from your sin, allowing God to be in charge. Now that, that is when you give your heart over to Him and become one of His children. He's waiting for you. He loves you. Thank you for listening to Words of Encouragement. I'll see you back here next week.